Good morning. Good to be with you today. Today we're looking at uh, Ecclesiastes, and so I want to read uh, a portion of what we're going to look at today for our, our scripture reading. Uh, so I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 12, starting in verse 9. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9. This is from the ESV. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is God's word. You know, uh, for me, probably like many of you, uh, one of the seasons of the year that I look forward to the most, one of the experiences I look forward to the most is Christmas. It's one of the few times where we have a chance of having our kids and our grandkids together. Three of our kids live in Colorado, so it's just, it's hard to be together. And so there's always this anticipation of time together. Um, Maybe you know what I'm talking about, right? I I look forward to uh, drinking a lot of coffee together, um, putting that 2,000-piece puzzle together, playing Settlers of Catan and other strategy games, and eating Christmas cookies during all of these things, right? Uh, Playing with the grandkids. Uh, Such times are so good, they're so enjoyable, and yet they're never quite as good as I anticipate. They're never quite as good as I hope for. There's still little frustrations and things that don't quite go as I had wanted or anticipated. And the time just goes so fast, and then they're gone again. And once they're gone, I often find that I have this little ache in my heart that's more than a longing than just for more time with them. It's an ache that our time together, as good as it is, is never quite as good as I hoped for. What is this? What is going on? Why the ache? Why this small measure of disappointment? I think it's because I'm experiencing a taste of what Ecclesiastes talks about. And that is life in a broken world. I'm looking to this experience of being as good as it is, being with family and and all that. I'm, I'm looking to that experience to give me a kind of meaning, a kind of satisfaction that actually cannot be found in any such things. That's kind of what we're going to look at today. We are looking, uh, we're, we're walking through a sermon series on, on becoming wise, a, be, a matter of life or death. And so we've looked at Proverbs. We spent several weeks in Proverbs. Last week we, we looked at, Steve talked, uh, preached out of Job and, and what it means to walk in wisdom in the midst of suffering, particularly when the innocent suffer. And so today we're looking at Ecclesiastes and, and all of these sort of fill out our understanding of, of wisdom and, and what wisdom literature wants to say to us. If you've spent any time in Ecclesiastes, you know it's sort of a strange, confusing book in some ways if we don't look at it carefully. Some people read it and they're like, why is this even in the Bible? This is so pessimistic. Why is that in there? And yet, 
many deeply connect to Ecclesiastes because it just speaks of the things that we actually experience in this world. And so there's this connection to what we find here. However you've heard this book, whatever it seemed like to you, this is God's word to us. And I believe it's incredibly relevant. It's an incredibly timely book for us in our day as we seek to find meaning in all kinds of wrong places. And so what I want to do today is, uh, somewhat like Steve did last week, give you an understanding, kind of an overview of this book, so that when you come to this book, you have a sense of what's going on. When you study this book for yourself, you, you kind of know how to approach it. That's what we want to do today. And so one of the things that's really important in understanding Ecclesiastes is, is sort of understanding how it all hangs together, how it's, you know, kind of the, the structure of it. And uh, the, the really, in the, in the framework of Ecclesiastes, there are two voices. Now, this is not the only way to understand this, but this is my understanding, and uh, many understand Ecclesiastes this way, that there are two voices in it. So you have the, the preacher that, that uh, we hear about right at the beginning. Uh, the NIV says teacher. Traditionally, this has been known as, or thought of, like this is Solomon, right? Obviously, he was someone who had a lot of wisdom, and much of what we read in this book would seem to speak of Solomon's experience. And yet, if you, you read it, you notice that his name is never mentioned. And if it was Solomon, gosh, maybe they would have, he would have used his name, you know. But, but it's not actually in there, so it doesn't have to be Solomon. Uh, a lot of the things, as you read through it carefully, there's, there's like, would that have been Solomon's experience? And so there are conservative commentators all over the place. Some would affirm this is Solomon, and that's appropriate. Others would say this is a later king. Still others would say this is a, another wise person later in time that, that is presenting wisdom in the tradition of Solomon. Uh, all of these are possible. And so whether or not this, this voice is Solomon, this is God's word to us. It's in our Bible. It is God's inspired word for us. I'm just going to use the term preacher that, that we find in the text. Most of what Ecclesiastes is doing is a presentation of what this preacher taught. It's really chapter 1, verse 3, to chapter 12, verse 7. That is the preacher's message. However, if you read it carefully, on both ends, it's bracketed by another voice. And, uh, and so you see this in chapter 1, 1 and 2. Let me just read those two verses. It says, that The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jer- in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And if you look at that, that, this is about the preacher. This is not the words of the preacher, right? There's someone looking at his words and, and telling us something about the preacher. And so this voice has been called the frame narrator because it's this voice that really frames the, the whole discussion, the, the purpose, the meaning of this book. This is the voice that we read in the passage that I read where, where he really evaluates the preacher's message. And so what I want to do to, to understand Ecclesiastes, you do need to understand this first voice, the preacher's voice, but then you have to understand what the frame narrator says about the preacher and what he, he taught. And so let's look first at this first voice, the words of the, the preacher. And so he introduces himself and his intent in, in chapter 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity 
and a striving after wind. And so he tells us right from the start both his intent and his conclusion in these verses. His intent is to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He's searching for meaning in life's activities. And so he's going to work, explore all sorts of things, things like work and pleasures and wealth and possessions and accomplishments and status and, and all of these things. He also tells us here kind of, kind of the, the perspective on how he's looking at these things. He tells us that his focus is on all that is done under heaven. You see that in verse 13, under heaven. He uses a very similar phrase uh, in verse 14. You see him there, he says that he has seen everything that is done under the sun. 28 times in his words, he uses this phrase, under the sun. And so he's speaking about a, an under the sun perspective. He's, uh, he's, he's sort of seeing things just like what you can observe on earth. It's, he's not atheistic. He, he talks about God, but as he reflects on life, he really has seen things without reference to God's revelation or anything beyond this worldly perspective. It's just like, what do I see happening on, on this earth under the sun? That's his perspective. He also tells us his, uh, his conclusion, right? All is vanity and a striving after wind. Uh, we have a lot of wind here in Kansas, right? It moves things. We can see evidence of it. But if you ever tried to grab it, right, there's nothing to, to hold on to there. He says, all of these things that I've tried to, to find meaning in, it's like grabbing the wind. You can't. There's nothing of substance there to hold on. And so his conclusion is that life is like that. All is vanity. Some of your translations might say meaningless. Some might say futility. There's not one English word that actually captures the, the, the sense of this word vanity. In, in the original Hebrew language, it's hevel. Literally means mist or vapor. You know, it's like if I breathe out, there's a little mist there, but it's fleeting, right? It's gone. There's this transitory nature to it. Really, the only way you, you understand the full sense of vanity is, is look at how he uses it. And, and so there's a lot of senses to it. I want to read just a few samplings of, of how he uses it to give us a sense. Chapter 5, verse 10, he says this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So this also is vanity. In other words, I've already given a bunch of examples, but, but his, his point is that you would think to have money would, would satisfy, to have acquired some things, that, that that would be what would bring satisfaction. And yet he finds out that in the acquiring of that, it doesn't. It's like there's no real substance there. There's nothing to hold on to. The result is not what he expected. This is Hevel. One of the topics he repeats to, goes to repeatedly is work. He uses the word toil a lot. And so in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. I've worked hard. I've worked really hard. I've tried to apply wisdom in my toil. And through that I have acquired things. And yet 
I don't know who it's, you know, I'm going to die someday and it's going to be left to somebody and I don't know if that person's going to be wise or foolish. That's frustrating to him. That's, that, that, that does not make any sense to him. That, that seems unfair. This is Hebel. In chapter 2, verse 13, he talks about time and death and part of his perspective is time and death are these kind of great equalizers between wisdom and, and foolishness. And, and they seem to make the pursuit of wisdom seem meaningless. And so chapter 13, he says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise as of the fools, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And so he says, wisdom is better, right? I'd rather walk in light than darkness. Wisdom is better than foolishness. And yet... The same event happens to the wise person and the foolish. They both are going to die. And he says, with time, both are going to be forgotten. So you may live this incredible life. You may do amazing things. You may walk in wisdom, but go out far enough, enough decades or centuries, and no one knows a thing about you. You're forgotten. And so death and time are these equalizers that kind of make you go, well, really, what's the point of wisdom? That is what he's experiencing. Um, wisdom seems meaningless in light of death. This makes no sense. It's an enigma to him. This is Hebel. This is just a small sampling. I mean, you, you go on and on, and he, as he talks and talks about all of these different areas as he explores different areas of life. And, and he keeps circling around. He'll talk about toil and then pleasures and money. He'll come back to work, and, and he just keeps circling around all these things, trying to find meaning in any of this stuff. But as he continues to bump up against this frustration and emptiness and unfairness and sometimes injustice, things just do not make sense. And so his overall assessment is it's, it's all hevel. Life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. In a sense, you can summarize his message as life is hard and then you die. <laughs> it's kind of depressing, right? Life is difficult and then you die. And yet we feel that sometimes, right? I mean, we connect to that. Life is hard. Life is hard. We feel the frustration of things not turning out like we hoped for. Things that we thought would satisfy they don't. If this is your experience, what do you do? What do you do if you've experienced this? Well, I mean, you could become a, you can kind of go on in nihilism, you become a hedonist, I mean, just live on those extremes, and yet that's not actually what the preacher tells us. Uh, there's actually more to his perspective. He actually communicates life is hard and then you die, and because that is true, when you can experience simple, small pleasures in life, do so. Life is difficult, then you die, but, but try to find those simple pleasures in life. If you can, that is a good gift from God. And so, for instance, look in chapter 5, verse 18. 
It says, Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. So about six times he has these passages, some call them the carpe diem passage, you know, like seize the day. Uh, if you can find joy in the simple things, a meal, time with friends, something in your work, don't miss those simple pleasures in life. That is a gift from God. And I do think we need to hear that, right? Because we often are always looking for something in the future. When I get there, when I get that job, when I get married, when I make enough money, when I find enough whatever, then I'm going to be there, right? And yet the message of the preacher is when, you're gonna get, when you get there, it's not going to be like what you thought. And so he's saying to live in the moment and to find just some satisfaction in simple things that God gives to us. There's some wisdom there. Find pleasure in, in any of these things. To do that is a good gift from God. And so that's a message of the first voice. And we need to hear that message, right? Genesis 3 tells us when Adam and Eve sinned, God sent them out of the garden. And work became hard. Toil became hard. Thorns and thistles. The ground was cursed. Paul tells us in Romans 8.20 that creation was subjected to futility because of sin. We are not living in the garden. This world does not work like God originally designed it to work. And, so, and yet so often we still have the, the hope and the anticipation that it will. But it doesn't. We live in a broken world. And so when we anticipate that a job or money or relationship or certain experiences will truly satisfy us, they really won't. We experience life as hard and frustrating and confusion. We experience hevel. And so if we're hearing the preacher's message, hopefully we begin to ask, if, if, if meaning in life is not found in my work, acquiring possessions, having some great experience, or in status, great trips, then where do I find meaning? If all of this is hevel, if all of this is grasping at the wind, where can I find something of substance? That's what we should be asking if we really understand the preacher's message, which leads us to this other voice, which leads us to the second voice, the frame narrator's voice. It's his message that we get the answer through his message. As we come to the epilogue that I read earlier in chapter 12, uh, we see that the frame narrator, he's actually talking to his son. And so he's a father giving wisdom to his son, just like we see in the early chapters of Proverbs, right? A father speaking wisdom to his son, a parent speaking wisdom to a child. And so he's taking the teachings and what the, the preacher has experienced, and he's looking at those things with his son. And now he's making some conclusions about this. And that's where we find the message of Ecclesiastes. And so verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying, and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. 
And so on one hand, he's affirming the preacher. He's, he's affirming that he was a wise man, that he did good work in collecting and arranging Proverbs, that he did that with great care. All that's commendable. And he also says we need words from wise people. Verse 11, the words of the wise, they are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. And so his point is that these words from wise people, they're, they're important, they're, they're necessary, they're useful, they're, they're like goads, uh, like a, a, something pointed to get an animal moving in the right direction. They're like that. They provide stability like nails firmly fixed. And so it's, it's good to be exposed to the teachings of the wise. But the frame narr- narrator communicates that the preacher's teaching only goes so far. And so in verse 12, he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Essentially, he says, enough of this message, enough of this life under the sun perspective. And then he communicates what is the core message that he wants his son to hear. And this is the message of Ecclesiastes for us. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Meaning is not found in all the things that the preacher explored, but in establishing a right relationship with God. Walking with God with respect and awe, moving towards him, paying attention to him, and walking in a way that pleases him. This is the whole duty of man. This is where we find meaning in life, our relationship with God. The Father adds one other thought that, that helps us as, as we live in a world that where, where it seems like there's no real advantage to walking in wisdom. He says in verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He's urging a, a, a above-the-sun perspective, right? The preacher's just under the sun. It's just what we can see and experience in this world with our eyes. But he's saying you need to have a above the sun perspective. You need to have a future orientation. There will be a day when God will judge. And so all of your actions matter when you think about an above the sun perspective. All do die, but that is not the end of the story, right? There is judgment. God will bring every deed into judgment, which means all of our actions matter. Things that don't seem to work out right, walking in wisdom when it doesn't really seem to pan out, it will matter because God will bring every deed into judgment. He will set everything right. And so fear God and keep his commandments and live in light of this reality that there is a future judgment coming. How you live matters. It's in our relationship with God that we find meaning in life. This is the message of Ecclesiastes. Here's a question for you. Where are you seeking meaning in life? Where are you seeking meaning in life? Where are you finding, you know, what's that thing you're seeking to fill up your cup with? Where are you seeking satisfaction? I mean, really, honestly. 
work, experiences, money, success? Are you really seeking it in your relationship with God? See, the frame narrator, the father with his son, he's laying before his son two options. Here's the teaching of the preacher. Here's all the things that he's experienced. And I think sometimes you might like, why, why did he take 11 chapters? And it keeps going. It's repetitive. And keep, why did he keep going back to that? Because I think the father knew how much he needed to drive home the point that none of these things really ultimately bring meaning and satisfaction. But the son could, could still look at that and go, well, I'm going to be different. I'm going to strive for all of these things. I'm going to make money. I'm going to be successful. And I'm going to be finding you know, meaning in all of those things. And yet he won't, right? Because we're not living in the garden. So the son could do that or he could heed the father's wisdom. And from the earliest days, he could begin to orient his life around seeking God. He could begin to orient his life around walking in ways that please God. He could orient his life around the reality that God will see everything he does, whether hidden or not, and he will judge it. That's the option before the son. And the reality is we have the same choices. Will we listen to this father speaking to his son? Will you disregard what the preacher discovered that all pursuits in this life apart from God will ultimately uh, not satisfy, that all of them are kind of grasping at the wind? Will you hear the message that the world is broken, that the results of our efforts will often be frustrated and different than what you expect? Or will you press on thinking, I'm going to still give it a try. I'll be different. Once you get that job, once you make enough money, find that relationship, that then you'll be good, then you'll be satisfied. Or will you choose to listen to the frame narrator and understand that it's only in your relationship with God that you will find meaning, joy, satisfaction? What will you choose? That's what Ecclesiastes is leading us to. Many of you are familiar with the, the story in John 4 where Jesus encounters the, the woman at the well. Remember, Jesus' disciples, they go off into the village. He sits by that well, and in the middle of the day, this woman comes out, and, and Jesus asks her for a drink of water, right? And she's shocked by this because Jesus, a Jew, and a man asks this woman who's a Samaritan, he, he talks to her, and she sh- she's shocked by that. And so in reply, Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As Jesus continues this conversation with this woman, trying to help her see her deepest need and that he can meet that deepest need, he reveals to her, uh, he, knows, he, he says, you know, go call your husband. And, and she says, I don't have one. And he says, you've answered right because you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now is, is not your husband. This woman has been Subject to futility in life. I mean, husband after husband, 
trying to find what she needs. And it's probably she's been continually just put out of these, these marriages. She's been seeking for something but never finding it. And now she meets the one who offers living water. And her life's changed. In fact, her whole village has changed because of her testimony. So many come out and they also find Jesus, the living water. Jesus is the one who satisfies. Jesus is the one who reverses the effects of the futility of this world due to sin. One commentator says it this way. As he was was hanging on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? At this point, Jesus experienced the meaninglessness of this world in a way that the preacher could not imagine. Jesus did this in order to break the curse of that meaninglessness in our life. His his resurrection infuses life with new meaning. In short, Jesus the Messiah is the answer to the problem expressed by the teacher's cry. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. His resurrection infuses life with new meaning. Jesus is living water. He is soul-satisfying living water for all who will trust him and seek him and orient your life around them. In this world subject to futility, in this world that so often doesn't work the way it's supposed to, in this world where all other pursuits show up empty, Jesus and Jesus alone satisfies. It's in our relationship with him that we find meaning. Seek him, walk with him, trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this ancient book that is so relevant to our day. We, we, we so much think that it's the, the things in our life, the things we can acquire, the things we can accomplish, the, all of these things. We, we, we might even say we're not, and yet we, we really do so often look to these things to find our meaning, to find joy and satisfaction in life. And yet, God, this message of the preacher and the, the, the frame narrator's assessment of this, it, it's just so spot on for us. Help us to hear the message. Help us to understand that meaning is found as we fear you and we walk with you and we live in light of the truth that there will be a judgment one day. And so, Father, help us to believe and and respond to this book with wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, let's stand together.
to save the hellbound man, Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law. Today, I'd like to lead us in this prayer. Uh, 